Hi there, everybody. It's David. Just want to give you a quick update here. Uh, apologies for the delay on the episode. Uh, things have been less than ideal, but they're shaping up to be a lot better in the future, so we'll be right on track real soon. Uh, for the meantime, though, I want to introduce this as a very special episode to me. Uh, interviewed a really good friend of mine, Morgan, uh, in an episode that is going to coincide just after International Women's Day. So uh, to all you Deadpool fans out there, Happy International Women's Day. Uh, I just want to close this uh, and uh, proceed the episode here with a quote uh, from uh, somebody you're going to be hearing about in the episode itself, Nadezhda Popova, uh, one of the famous Russian night witches from World War II. I sometimes stare into the blackness and close my eyes. I can still imagine myself up there as a young girl in my little bomber, and I ask myself, Nadia, how did you do it? Want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. Hello, fabulous and feminine fight friends for this uh, fabulous episode. Okay, I'm going to stop with the alliteration now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fightcast. Uh, Kirsten and I have a lovely... Uh, talented and very unconventional guest for this episode of Fightcast, uh, Morgan. Please say hello. hello. Um, now, Morgan, just who the hell are you? I am many things. I will. She uh, has many names. I do. I will. <laughs> I will keep it brief, though. Yep. Um, I am Seattle's burlesque supervillainess. I run an assortment of uh, charity fundraiser shows that do awful, terrible things like hand out sandwiches to homeless people or banned books to teenagers. Terrible. I am Why would you really do that? the worst. I am an outspoken feminist because, see above, I'm the worst. Yep. Um, I'm a model. I'm a burlesque performer. I'm a DJ. I'm a fire eater. I do all sorts of crazy shit around uh, Seattle. I hope this is a swearing podcast. Oh, I'm swear. fuck yes it okay. is. It is now. <laughs> it is now. I, I, the way I figure it, we're talking about human combat and possibly death, so why not throw a fuck in there every now and then? Well, I'm also the person who just takes it to that place of now exactly. it's a swearing podcast. You are gothic royalty? <laughs> I am. I am elected gothic royalty. I elected am gothic the... royalty. I didn't know that's how royalty worked. It is in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> Seattle has, uh, Gothic Pride Seattle has a almost annual pageant where they elect the Gothic Royalties of the Year, and I am uh, Viscountess of 2015, which Woo! the title continues to carry, because actually they didn't have one last year, so I am... You're still... Still, I mean, I'm, I'm going raining. to be Viscountess of 2015 for forever, but... Uh, I am currently reigning as gothic royalty. So, in other words, you're saying that you're one of these nasty women that our president has been warning us about. Oh, I am the nastiest. I do have to say, you are the vicomtesse of the best year, or the last good year, (laughs) in our country. So, you know, that's really something to, like, be proud of. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. After that, it was discounted because of the apocalypse. There will never be another one. You can't discount so they, the discount. I was no. about to oh! make that pun! Oh. Ugh, I was about to make that pun. She stole my... Pun accomplished. She stole my punder. Uh, oh, God. God, why? Because. Because. Yeah. 
So considering we've got this incredibly badass woman on our show, what are we going to be talking about, David? We are going to be talking about some badass women of history. Oh shit, I didn't realize this was like an air band thing. I left all my air instruments at home. It's okay. You can <laughs> just really air base. It makes no difference. All right. Also, if you don't have a very big air trunk, sometimes it's hard to transport your yeah. instruments. It gets heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Then you have to have like air stage hands and everything, and they're always unreliable. Always Oh drunk. my god, and you have to pay them so much air money. Yes. It's ridiculous. <sighs> Man, the, the air the air scene is just really <laughs> Uh, we're, we're jumping that. off this train. We're jumping off this train. So, um, what I asked, what, what I asked all of us to do here, and um, I'm, I obviously would love to hear the most uh, from the two of you, ladies, because you are, as a matter of fact, ladies. Yeah. And oh, um, so, uh, I would love to hear the most from the both of you. But I asked you to kind of pick out your favorite, um, really awesome, badass warrior women of history. Now, uh, yes. do we just want to go in any particular order here? Um, I'm going to go first. Because he was looking at me. All right. Um, So the woman that I've decided to pick is Nadizda Popova. And I'm probably saying that wrong because I'm not a Russian. And this woman is. So uh, Nadizda... You've got to slow down. (laughs) Slow down. And can't be Russian. Oh, God. You need to sound like you simultaneously care too much and not Too far. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We're going to dial it back just a little bit. Exactly. Um, So, Nadisa Popova was born in a smaller town, uh, which I'm going to butcher the name of, so I'm not going to say it. She became very interested in flying at a really young age. What about time was this? What time? uh, She was born in 1921. Okay. And... uh, she got into flying long before World War I. Um, she did her first solo flight when she was 16, so in 1935. Wow. And uh, that was also her first parachute jump. Holy shit. Like so, you do. Right. So g- g- girls um, in America are learning how to drive cars at 16. She's flying a rickety biplane and jumping out of it at 16. Well, but that was just uh, that was just the job that she was going to. Her her kind of passion, she wanted to be an actress and oh. a dancer and a singer. Oh. And she was very much into like wanting to go into those arts, but it's Russia and war is about to happen, so she had to settle down with a job jumping out of planes. Like you do. Yep. It's um, hard out there for an artist. It really you is. You gotta get those gigs wherever <laughs> <Yes>. you can. <laughs> and sometimes your day job is not exactly... That's kind of how I learned to, like, do straitjacket escapes and fire eating was like, well, you know, can't make money just stripping. <laughs> gotta <laughs> expand. You gotta diversify. <laughs> Although, really, getting yourself out of a straitjacket is just, like, long-form stripping. It is. <laughs> and not to take too much of a sidebar because this is super fascinating, but actually... <laughs> Funny story, the first time I ever did a straitjacket escape was part of a um, onstage demonstration where there was a sideshow performer who was like, all right, does anyone want to try it out? And I raised my hand and he called me up and he straps me into the straitjacket and somebody in the audience actually said, like, that's not fair, she's a burlesque performer. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, like, it, it had this grand awakening in me where I was like, wait, like, really, the mechanics aren't that different. I could just buy my own street jacket, and that's <laughs> how now I have a street jacket hanging up in my room. They're very hard to store in your closet. It's bulky. It's weird. But tell me more about this awesome Russian lady. That is yes. amazing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, first solo flight at 16. Uh, she applied to join a flight school, but was actually rejected. Oh. And she had to get a recommendation from one of the... Um, 
I, I think either a flight instructor or maybe somebody who owned the place where she learned to fly um, their recommendation finally got her into this flight school at the age of 18 so I have to ask how common or uncommon was it for women to be pursuing flight school in the first place you know uh, not terribly common um, Russia post-revolution was a lot more egalitarian as far as gender goes than we like to think um, it definitely wasn't a fair society because it's really hard to get rid of a lot of those old sort of feudal ideas but um, there were more opportunities for women to try out for these you could definitely find schools that would accept you and um, by the time World War One had started there was actually a huge push World War II you mean? Yes, World War Two. There was a huge push. For um, there was a huge push for a female pilot regiment. Oh, because there were so many female pilots who would be able to contribute to the war effort. Yep. So, uh, Nadezhda uh, Popova decided to join up. She was one of the very first women to sign on um, as soon as this regiment was opened up, and she became one of the Nachthexen. Now that's a German term. The uh, die Nachthexen translates to the Night Witches, which is the most metal fucking name ever. This there is not a <sighs> no. I I agree. I have seen memes about this on the Facebook. Oh, indeed. <laughs> what is how much of it is true? Because what I've seen is that these were women who were flying planes and to drop bombs at night, and in order to stay silent, they would essentially turn the engines off and just kind of glide, and then in order to turn the engines back on, oftentimes had to actually get out onto the wing of the plane. <laughs> that is correct. That is all correct? Yep, that Thanks is actually Thanks for not correct. lying to me, Facebook. Yeah. Um, so, and I mean, of course, everything is always embellished, and you have to take anything that happened during this period with a grain of salt because of the propaganda machine. However, these planes were made out of canvas and plywood with an engine. They were biplanes, right? Yes, and they made them as light as possible, um, because they simply did not have the materials to make them better. <laughs> That's, you know, kind of where that egalitarianism starts to slip, is that they didn't give these women the best planes. Uh, because these planes were so light, they weren't allowed to carry a lot of things, like parachutes. They could also only carry two bombs at a time. So they would, um, you know, come up at during the night, high above a German camp, or, you know, where there's a lot of Germans, yeah, shut their, yep, shut their engines off, glide down, drop two bombs, uh, wait until they had glide, glid, glided far enough away, turn their engines back on, and then get to safety. Most of the time, they would just find themselves crash landing, you know, without turning their engines on, just out of range, um, on one of these crash landings, uh... Nadezhda actually met her husband. She oh. crash landed somewhere in the Caucasus Mountains, the Caucasus, and uh, joined up this huge line of retreating Russian soldiers and met this guy who was bandaged up from head to foot because he'd just been in a firefight. And uh, he was reading a book of poetry. Cool. She wanted him to read her poetry. Her interview on how they met is disgustingly adorable. Aww. And they were married until... Oh, they were married for, I want to say, like, 70 years until he Jeez. died in, like, 1990. That's Holy a story to tell you, right? Yes. Right. That is an enduring love story that needs to be committed yeah. to film. Let's... There was one time when uh, they were gliding over the German lines and uh, they were shot at. Um, she counted 42 bullet holes in the hull of the plane as well as the map they were using 
and turned back and said to her navigator, we're definitely getting out of this one alive if they <laughs> couldn't hit us with that. Oh, shit. And um, it's just kind of a great insight into how a lot of women in World War II, uh, their role is very overlooked simply because um, it's not as... We don't get the great, like, macho stories. You know, yeah. these women used their navigation pens as lipstick. And uh, they painted flowers on the sides of their planes instead of pinup girls. Oh my god. And you I want to see a fighter plane that has like a hot dude painted on the side. Though. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> yes, an Abercrombie be... Fitch model oh right god. on the side. Like, that would be yeah. mine. I would be like, it'd be the hot dude, like, wearing the. The underwear that's slightly pulled down, just like but biting be, on a knuckle. But it would be Russian, so he'd be like a little bit barrel chested and belly with like hair and like the pants pulled down. Or just a back and just yeah. Boris right under it. Because like, I was yeah. thinking, I was thinking that like, you know, if these were Americans, uh, they would have like a boxer or something and it'd be like Smoking Joe, you know, like. <laughs> Well, because like, they, they named the planes. They, yeah, they, no, they true. did. And well, and my counter argument to that is that you know, then you're not having, um, you know, you want to talk about egalitarianism. The male equivalent of the female pinup is just that. It's the hyper masculine. It's mm. the I am a tough boxer man. It's not the oh I'm a cute sexual object. And I'm not right. saying that yeah. they're um, I'm. They're sexualized in different ways. Right. No, they are. And I, there isn't anything, uh, I don't want to say there isn't anything inherently wrong with how either of them are sexualized. They're sexualized how they're sexualized. Um, but, you know, it's one of those subtle ways where just like the girls aren't getting the best planes is mm -hmm. if we were to take that, like, where is the male mm -hmm. pinup on the sides? Of, right. Where's the male pinups in general? But also where's the... The hot male named planes. As, yeah. Je as Jeff Goldblum would tell us, sexism <laughs> uh, finds a way. <laughs> um, there are a couple images of the planes. I can look through and see if I can find any of their paintings of flowers or that sexy cool. Boris chested men. <laughs> <laughs> Boris chested. Um, but this woman, uh, at the end of World War II, she had flown 852 sorties. Just what? In a canvas and plywood plane. N now, listeners, for, for the best male pilots, life expectancy, especially in the Soviet Air Force, was not great. Like, they were... Th the, the Soviet strategy in World War II, because they were sneak attacked by the Germans, and caught completely unaware, it became a panicked situation of, uh, throw people at it until the problem goes away. This was basically the Soviet strategy from the czarist times all the way up until just about the end of world war two and would form a significant part of the cold war strategy too so when you're just throwing lives into a meat grinder on mass mm -hmm. and then again even when you have this great communist egalitarian society that's been set up you're gonna find some ways that women get shafted they often flew without parachutes i think Yep, that's what, because, uh, well, and that was less because they were women and more because um, rationing supplies yeah. and the fact that the planes could not be heavy. Yeah. You know, they had to be very, very light planes. They got rid of anything that wasn't essential. <laughs> I imagine one of these planes, like, maybe going down, engine cutting, crashing into a building. It's like a balsa wood plane. It's just... And just falls. Yeah, well, um, unfortunately, they did then. Yeah, yeah. Just, unfortunately, uh, they did crash and they did crash hard. Oh, um, yeah. Nadezhda did watch a lot of the women that served under her because she um, uh, attained the rank of lieutenant. 
or no, I want yeah. to say. I'll fact check that in a second. Yeah. Um, and uh, she spoke about every woman who she watched die because she would usually have an eye out, you mm-hmm. know, for the other planes. Right. And yeah. she felt for each one of them. And it's a little bit sad to read through her accountings because, you know, she clearly knew them. It wasn't just another life. Um. But when she, uh, when the war was over and she returned home, uh, she did get the full hero's welcome. There was a parade. There was a marching band. They threw flowers at her car. Um, that whole thing. Uh, a lot of the Russians that she had saved in some of her bombing raids showed up at her hometown to be there during Aww. that parade to honor her. And um, she went on to be a flight instructor for like another twenty years. Oh my God, that's awesome! Make a Hollywood, if you're listening, you're not, but if you're listening, make a movie about this woman's life. Just make a movie about the Night Witches. Start making more female action movie well, movies, please. Yeah. No, just <sighs> absolutely. There's, I was, oh God, what's the, there was a film and I've lost my train of thought. Never mind. Ignore <laughs> me. Well, I was thinking like, oh, action movies about awesome women and, uh, you know, building off of fighting Nazis. There was this great movie in the 80s, but of course the name of it and the name of the woman that it focuses on totally eludes me, but it was about this French woman who became a spy and uh, supposed to be, like, I tried to look it up and could not find the film. It's not on Netflix. It's not on YouTube. Yeah. A woman who's supposed to be a spy. No, woman, a French spy who worked to help defeat the Nazis. Cool. I see. Google that. You, Just yeah. Google that phrase and I, you'll I, find I, it. I, I, I am sure that I am sure I'm going to send you a text that. at like midnight be like, it's this woman. It, it's just, uh, World War II was a great breeding ground for these kinds of heroines. Uh, similarly, in the in the Soviet because uh, in, in women arm. don't put up with any of that Nazi bullshit. Of course not. Yeah, <laughs> we can we can all We're take like, some cues, nah. fellas. Take some cues. <laughs> nah, bro. You know, <laughs> um, but within the Soviet armed forces as well, we have a, there's another woman. I can only mention her briefly because she is going to get her own episode at some point. Lyudmila Pavlichenko. Now, if you ever uh, heard about the famous Russian snipers in World War II, such as Vasily Zaitsev, check out. Check out Ludmilla Pavlichenko, please. She uh, she had a comparable kill rate. She was what she was. I think the highest decorated female soldier in the entire Soviet Armed Forces. I could be wrong about that, but just take this as a teaser. We're going to be doing an episode about Ludmilla at some point because she deserves it. <clears throat> now, uh, Morgan, uh, did you have somebody you want to talk about? Or did you want me to go did. straight into? Uh, <laughs> let me go back to my notes on that because I was trying to look up who that person i was talking while to. you do that hannah arendt as well hannah arendt was an was one of the most famous anti-nazi advocates who was killed by the nazis uh before or just at the outset of the war and she deserves a mention as well even though she was not a fighting soldier she was a resistor and she needs to be mentioned awesome so you sent me a text when you were like hey come be on my podcast and we're like we're gonna talk about an awesome- inordinate amount of time ago Right, uh, and you're like, well, we're gonna talk about awesome female warriors, and of course, like me, my first thought was um, this person I'm going to bring up here, but then I was like, well, that's not really a warrior, and that like she never really served in the military or any formal thing like that, and I was like, nope, fuck it, this girl's a badass, and that is Sadie the Goat. Sadie the Goat. I'm already interested. <laughs> Sadie the Goat um, was an Irish American who existed in the era of 
uh, gangs of New York, as it were. And in so the fact, late 1800s. Yes. And in fact, uh, is part of a composite character that is three different amazing strong women that went into, that became one token character in the film Gangs of New York. But Sadie the Goat is fucking awesome. She started off as just your average, everyday, mugging people on the street kind of criminal, but she had a shtick. And her shtick was that she would approach men, um, and she had a partner who would watch, you know, just in case things got hairy. She would approach men on the street and then straight up headbutt them in the, go in the gut. Oh. She would just boom, head to the stomach, get them down. If that didn't do it, her partner would come up behind and smack them on the head. And then they would rob these people blind and be on their way. So what you're saying is she was the female version of the juggernaut. She just like barreled yep. forward, ran straight into the gut. Oh, now damn. question: Was she actually a goat? <laughs> I don't believe so. Although I'm sure that there are some people, especially in that era, who would make some sort of racist and/or sexist comment to that to that length. <laughs> mm. um, because she was, as I said, an Irish American, and that actually came into play because she had kind of a what's uh, the word I'm looking for? She had a she had a vendetta. She had a she had an arch nemesis, as it were, um, and that was a local barmaid slash uh, bouncer, because this is how awesome this other woman was, named Gallus Mag. Gallus Mag, I can't remember what Gallus Mag's nationality was, but part of why she didn't like Sadie was because Sadie was Irish. Oh. Um, you know, this is a time when, I was about to say this was a time when there was a lot of racial tension in America, but I don't know if we've ever moved past that time. We Wait, just, I was about to say. We just changed the victims. Right. What you mean you say internecine ethnic struggle persists when they came over to the New World? Oh. <laughs> so anyway, the yeah. point being Gallus Mag and uh, Sadie the Goat, who uh, allegedly had some sort of racist battle, but there was also probably the fact that these were two very strong independent women who used violence to solve their problems, probably aren't going to get along super great anyway. Their, Sounds not big enough for both of them. Nope. Um, their little fights escalated more and more until one evening in a brawl, Gallus Mag actually bit off Sadie's ear. No fucking way! Bit it she off. She holy fielded her. Yes. And this was actually something that she was known to do. She had a jar of ears oh, Jesus that she had bitten off of uh, mostly male patrons of the bar in which she worked. And I'm not sure exactly the timeline of when the ear got bit off was, but uh, Sadie the Goat, excuse me, uh, moved from just being a thief and actually graduated up to being a river pirate and then queen of the river pirates Gosh. for a brief period of time. She stumbled upon some river pirates, uh, saw them being absolutely awful at their job, kind of came in and was like, look, you're doing everything wrong. Let me tell you, like... Real micromanager. Right, like, fix your shit. You know, you need <laughs> you need a smart woman to come in here and tell you how to run your river piracy racket that you've got going. And so they put her in charge because she knew what she was talking about. Um, a couple of years later, I imagine. Right, you know, <laughs> she maybe took some of her That's own... Why, why should we let you be the head of our river pirate gang? Well, lend me your ear a second. 
And I'll I mean, tell you why. Had, uh, <laughs> she already had the badass scar, and I think that's like 80% of piracy. Yeah. Is oh, like, you just gotta have a badass scar. You gotta scar. Be, have a scar or be missing some kind of yeah, body part. Of course. And the ear qualified her to go straight to Queen of the River Pirates. Um, and, you know, she ran that gang. She ran um, uh, the Charlton Street Gang. Damn. Uh, for a number of years until they were arrested by police and she actually avoided getting arrested. Uh, I believe that eventually, uh, her towards the end of their lives, CD and Mag had a reuniting. They Aww. they cried it out. Were they hot? Mag gave Sadie her ear back. Oh my god! <laughs> and Sadie so kept the ear in a locket and wore it around her neck for the rest of her life. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're preservation methods. Like she's got. Well, that's this why it was in a jar. So in a locket, though. Well, okay, I don't know about once it was in the locket. Yeah, once it's out of the jar, all I, okay. Are here's off. what I here's what I'm imagining. I'm imagining like a little tiny mason jar, like a shot glass sized mason jar or something, like full of whiskey or something, because they didn't have any other preservatives. And then I imagine she's just like Jerry rigged some kind of like wearing this jar on a chain around her neck or something like that, just to keep it preserved. Either that, or it's mummified, or. D- it's like she's wearing jerky as jewelry. This is the most macabre, goth, fucking sociopathic, like, girl love story I've ever heard. Well, that's exactly why I felt that I needed to bring it to the <laughs> Thank <table. laughs> you. No, seriously. Thank you. Thank you. The listeners deserve to know this. And I'm happy I was like, that they I got feel this. like that is the. Because, you know, in America, we don't really have um, the same kind of warriors that culturally we've had, you know, mm. in other. Uh, cultures all over the world and I we've had some variants and we have our American soldiers and we have you know the specialized different departments of soldiers but I think that when it comes to like straight up warriors nothing gets more badass than like being the woman who starts out headbutting <laughs> like luring men into dark alleys to headbutt them to rob them like graduating up to pirate queen to running a gang <laughs> to wearing your possibly mummified ear around your neck for the rest of your life like that's that's pretty badass Uh, i think i think she deserves the mantle of warrior that i think is a movie that i would much prefer to see gangs of new york focused on entirely the wrong person well the i haven't actually seen gangs of new york but my understanding from briefly skimming through the wikipedia articles trying to refresh my memory shortly before we recorded this (laughs) is that they uh took Mag, Sadie, and one other girl and kind of put them all into one character. Yes. Uh, the other girl was Hellcat Maggie, who was a gang member who uh, filed her teeth sharp and wore bronze fingernails to I know, right? Uh, to so attack good. people. And they named the character Hellcat Maggie. And I think she's in all of ten minutes in the entire movie. But oh, sure I would is. watch 90 minutes of just that. So, yeah. here in Seattle... You can actually, there is a gentleman named Victor, and he runs a company called Fangs by Victor, and he makes dental caps that are, like, movie grade, he makes them custom for you, he matches them, it takes, like, an hour, and he matches, you know, your actual teeth color, um, I had, actually, I had a pair, because my makeup bag was stolen, they were in them, I need to get another pair, um, they are actually sharp enough. To pierce flesh. To pierce flesh. I have them because I do a uh, vampire burlesque act. Every single time I do that act, I, there's a part where I bite into my own arm. I always cut myself on it. 
So if you want to file your teeth down to fangs, but you don't want to either actually destroy your teeth, because don't do that at home, kids. Yeah. Or, you know, convince a dentist who doesn't want to do it to do it. Get some just pop-in caps, and you can do that. Um, Alternate idea. Do file your teeth down. (laughs) Get caps that make them look like normal teeth, so you can still go to work. So you can just pull them off (laughs) as needed. Yes. That's the opposite (laughs) way. Yeah. With much more pain. I, I don't know how much of this advice I should be giving because my next thing is like, oh, go to your local music supply store and get banjo picks and sharpen those to points. Yeah. And those are great uh, Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's, you know, this week <clears throat> on Don't Do This at Home, but we're going to tell you exactly how to do it at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it awful that I just had that information? I'm like, oh, here's how to get your teeth to points and that's claws. Abs- no, that's absolutely not. Amazing information to have. But I also go to my manicurists and I'm like, no, really make them sharp enough to cut a bitch. <laughs> Speaking of cutting a bitch. Yes. Let's talk about I'm your I'm sorry, that's the, best, that's the best segue that I could do given the circumstances. What cutting no. is a bitch going to do next? Uh, well, um, Dish it, tur- no, it turns out, it turns out <laughs> that these bitches are going to cut men. Good. They good probably inversion. have it coming. What, when Walking I thought about this, dress like that, <laughs> wearing their tunics and their uh, girls they're all and their their loins all girded, pumpkin pants, their barrel hairy barrel chests. They're, you mean their Boris chests? <laughs> their Boris. <laughs> their hairy Boris chests. Walking around with their tops off, all God. Boris chested. How dare they? <laughs> Having body hair and things. So tell us who cuts so, these deserving when, men. I had such a beautiful segue. Oh, I'm sorry, I ruined trashed it. Cut it. Anyway, bitch. I um, I, I when I first wanted to do this topic, I knew that there were a few figures that I absolutely needed to touch upon, and one of them is Boudica, the famous Iceni Celtic uh, Britannic uh, queen who led a very successful. Uh, armed resistance against the Romans uh, during a time when such a thing was not an easy thing to do. The Romans were a very well-oiled machine. And then Tomo and Gozen. Uh, T- Tomo and Gozen was one of the f- uh, only confirmed females, uh, female samurai. But I'll get into Boudicca first. Sorry, so, am I the only one who thought well-oiled machine was a, a funny thing to say about Romans? No? Lube? Anyone? No, no moving on. That's going to be my next Somebody seen Spartacus! <laughs> Somebody has seen all... Of Spartacus, I'm guessing. So, yeah. who's Boudicca? Boudicca was, uh, she, she came to prominence uh, due to the writings of Tacitus. Now, this was around the time of the very early Roman Empire. So just, just so that you know, everybody, it wasn't always the Roman Empire. It was the Roman Republic, and then the Roman Republic shifted ever so, sometimes dramatically, sometimes not, into the Empire. Now, this was during the reign, I believe, of uh, Claudius... Uh, either either Claudius or Augustus. No, no, I think it was Augustus. Now, um, what happened, basically, the, the story that made Boudicca famous and the reason that she's got a statue alongside kings of fucking England um, on London Bridge, and I've been there and it's awesome, is that there was supposed to be a kind of power-sharing setup between, the, between Rome and... And the local rulers of the time. Now, basically, the, the Romans wouldn't come in and just rule everything, de, you know, de jure. They would come in and they would set up relationships with client rulers of their own people because they basically figured that, you know, if you're going to colonize somebody, better to have somebody who's of the same ethnicity and nationality doing the actual governing while you just, right. you know, make all 
Uh, you just collect all the great rewards and send all the booty back to Rome. Now, what happened was Boudicca's father was the chieftain. He was the king of the Iceni tribe. That's I-C-E-N-I, just for those of you who are pedantic. And he had willed in his will that the, that the kingdom was to go after his death to Rome and his daughters. Now, no, I'm sorry, this is not Boudicca's father. This is her husband. This is this is her husband. So this is sorry, very very important distinction to make because now the the source Tacitus is not exactly clear why this happened, but when the king died, they did not honor the agreement. As it turns out, treaties broken. What? As it the Romans going back on their word. This never happens. What so, are they Americans? Yeah. So <laughs> how it turned out is that the, the the king died, and they and the centurions decided to go on a bloody murder spree and sack a whole bunch of places, basically because they could. During this, it's unclear exactly why, but Boudica, who's the queen, her daughters were captured, raped, and I believe executed publicly. Um, this for. Uh, completely understandable reasons set her off uh, to, to to an absurd degree, uh, in so much that she. I would well, say to a very. Well, to a pretty. Well, I'm saying that like. Yeah. To, <laughs> sorry, this is a bad choice of words. To an egregiously violent degree. <laughs> now, I think I think we can all agree. That she went fucking nuts on the Romans. Uh, went led a very. Rightfully so. Yes. Right. Oh, good lord. Yeah. I mean, she's got nothing left. No, I mean, here's the thing: is that like this is this is during a period where Rome was really getting their empire game down pat. You know, they had conquered basically all of the Mediterranean world. Julius Caesar had stepped foot in Britain just because he could, uh, just to show the people back home that he could. But they didn't really get around to conquering Britain till the early imperial period. And then when they did, though, they were not fucking around. So, uh, the Romans, uh, their governor, uh, Gaius Suetonius Paulinus, uh, he was the, he was, um, he was the uh, main uh, guide that the Romans sent after her. And uh, with, with not very much success. Uh, the, the rebels' first target, they took Colchester, which was called Camulodunum? I believe at the time. Now, they uh, the the Roman uh, veterans who had settled there had mistreated the locals, and a temple to the former emperor Claudius had been erected there at the locals' expense. Now, if you want to piss people off, don't just subjugate them; make them pay for it. That's how you really that's how you really twist the knife in. Now, um, he only sent two hundred auxiliary troops to try and take down Boudicca. This was obviously not enough. Um, Boudicca's army fell on the poorly defended city and utterly destroyed it, uh, besieging the last of set defenders in the temple for two days before it fell. Uh, archaeologists have shown that the city was methodically demolished, so mm -hmm. she took her time. <laughs> and I just want to say, um, when she was chosen to be the leader of these people, uh, she gave a great speech that... Um, that was written down by historians later on. So, of course, whether Do we have any not... text of that speech, though? Well, uh, we do. We have one good quote. Um, she addressed the army saying, It is not as a woman descended from noble ancestry, but as one of the people that I am avenging lost freedom, my scourged body, the outraged chastity of my daughters. This is a woman's resolve. As for men, they may live and be slaves. She turned this into a woman's movement. You know, this army... She did it not just uh, 
not just because she was the royalty trying to get back her people from the Romans, she did it because, screw you, we're sick of you doing this to women and you're out of our country. Well, oh. as a woman, she had really, like, she had faced some really very female-specific, like, right. you know, some hardships that were aimed at her, not just, like you said, not just because she was royalty, but because she was a woman. Mm -hmm. And then there were many, you know, once her husband wasn't there to kind of be that buffer, everyone kind of showed exactly how much, you know, they respected <clears throat> her. Exactly. And so she was like, all right. Yep. Y'all had a chance. <laughs> you kind said sorry. So, <laughs> side note. I believe she is playable as a character in Civ Five's Ooh. like Kings and Gods expansion. Oh, awesome. yeah. Okay. God, I'm obsessed with that character. Excellent. <laughs> oh, me, you and me both, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after after the after the Ninth Legion, Hispania attempted to relieve uh, the city of Colchester, suffering an overwhelming defeat. Uh, the infantry was wiped out. Only the commander and some of his cavalry escaped. Uh, so Suetonius, the local Roman governor, decides he's going to go and try and uh, fortify Londinium, which is now modern-day London, uh, against Boudicca. And um, this, was the, this was the metropolitan and commerce center of Roman Britain. This was, this was not just a military target. This was an economic one. And when you hit Roman economic targets, they fucking hurt. So um, Tacitus has a quote about this. Um, Alarmed by the disaster and the fury of the province which he had goaded into war by his rapacity, the procurator Catus crossed over into Gaul. Suetonius, however, with wonderful resolution, marched amidst a hostile population to Londinium, which, though undistinguished by the name of a colony, was much frequented by a number of merchants and trading vessels. Uncertain whether he should, uh, whether he should choose it as a seat of war, he looked round the scanty force of soldiers and remembered with what a serious warning the rashness of Patellus had been punished. He resolved to save the province at the cost of a single town. Nor did the tears and weeping of the people as they implored his aid deter him from giving the signal of departure and receiving into his army all who would go with him. Those who were chained to the spot by the weakness of their sex, the infirmity of their age, or the attractions of the place were cut off by the enemy. So Suetonius decided basically just, fuck you guys, I'm going to go defend this economic target. Now, um, Londinium was abandoned to the rebels who burnt it down, slaughtering anyone who had not evacuated with Suetonius. Yeah. Um. And in fact, there were three cities that she had raised to the ground. Um, there was Camelondunium, Londonium, and Verulamium. Oh. And uh, when she had finished with them, she left 80,000 Roman citizens dead. Oh, damn. That's a lot. You know, 80,000? Yeah. Even in today's numbers, that would be quite a few. That's about as many as, the, as who died at um, Cannae. Uh, uh, Kini. Kini. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, Kini, those of you who don't know, was uh, during the Second Punic War. A uh, bunch of Roman soldiers huge decided. Massacre. Huge All day. Imagine men being butchered all we'll, goddamn we'll day. Talk about yeah, it, 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 deserves, it deserves its own, at least, portion of an episode. Um, so, the. Eventually, as, as, as Boudicca was. Uh, quick to find out uh the romans don't take embarrassment very very well um uh so they decided to overreact send a bunch of legions against her and um uh let me see the uh yeah uh, she she was defeated in the battle at um what was known as the battle of watling street which 
sounds like something that might happen in the 1800s or so. Uh, according to Tacitus and the Annals, Boudicca poisoned herself, though in the Agricola, which was written almost 20 years prior, he mentions nothing of suicide and attributes the end of her of the revolt to indolence. Not sure what that means. I think that it's just like she just got sick and died. My well, was no, she she committed suicide. Did she? Boudicca? Yeah. No, she poisoned herself. Did she? Yeah. Okay. She poisoned herself. So You're saying it with confidence, so I believe okay. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I found that in several yeah. sor- several sources that I trust. Um, yeah. So, of course, with anything that happened at that time, it's also over-romanticized, and Tacitus certainly did embellish quite a bit himself. Yeah, yeah. He the idea of heroically poisoning yourself after a major defeat is very romantic to the Romans at the time. Yeah. So, you know, who knows whether it really happened. Um, but that's, well, that's what a I very read. feminine, yeah. de- like traditionally feminine death that's too. True. Is and, yeah, I, suicide by poison. It's interesting too because the reason we have to take Tacitus with a bit of a grain of salt too is that it's very possible he was trying to write in kind of a moralizing tone for the yeah. Romans back home. Well, and there was a big gap too between mm-hmm. when, like, she kind of disappeared from history for a while and then came back as this kind of romantic figure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, my understanding that it wasn't really until Queen Victoria, who um, whose name also means victory, mm-hmm. and who many people, you know, she kind of idolized this idea of, oh, I'm kind of her namesake, and sort of brought the idea of her back right. just out of her own love. Um, I do want to say something about the Battle of Watling. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons that they lost, um, unfortunately, was because they did have so many women with them. So uh, something that Suetonius said yeah. about these fighters, and it's been uh, recorded that he said this to his men, was not to worry about them because you look at their ranks and there seem to be more women than men in their ranks. Now, by this point, they had already lost three major battles and lost a large amount of citizens. So whether or not that matters or if that's just a way to rally your troops, sure. But uh, they brought a lot of women and children as citizens with them. So when they approached this battle, they circled their wagons behind their army that had all of those who could not fight. So when they did Uh. need to retreat and they were being overtaken by the Romans, they were cut off by their own wagons oh, and unable to retreat past them that's quickly, right. which led to a massacre. That's uh, it's it, it, it's very it's very reminiscent of the Kimbri and the Teuton when Gaius and Marius was fighting them in what is now Germany because they did the same thing. They with these these tribes who actually tried to invade Roman territory were hampered by the fact that this was their entire country, this was their nation, this was the entire population going to war against the Germans. It wasn't against the Romans. It wasn't so much like the Romans did, where they just sent their men off and all the women and children are safely back in Rome or in these nice walled cities. They were on the battlefield. They were at risk. And the idea, of course, was that this would make the men fight harder because their families were right there. People right. who would be raped and murdered were right there if like they lost. Like, you were the, the thing between that. Not only that, but at least with the Kimbri, when the men fled or were turned back, they ran into their own women who started killing them. Their, their women took up weapons and started fighting any man of theirs who deserted and any of the, They took on both armies at the mm. same time. Like, we should really be fucking handing it to these badass indigenous women. Like, they, 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 knew, how to, they knew how to put up a fucking fight. But of course, desperation had to do quite a lot with that. Right. right. Well, it's the, the quote, nah, 
women since forever. (laughs) 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 Nah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. I, I, I would really... There have been a couple of uh, works of fiction written about Boudicca, but oh, I would... Oh, so many. I was just looking through the list. There was, like, a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. <laughs> There's a character in the Green Lantern Corps named after her. That's right, Boudicca. Yeah, she became one of the Alpha Lanterns. Yeah, they were assholes. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, th- those of you who can go to London, please check it out. I believe it is on, I, I believe, London Bridge or Tower Bridge, but... Um, as, you, as you go down the bridge toward the Houses of Parliament, you do see an, a fabulous bronze statue of Boudicca looking all fucking fiery and badass and chariot, and it's awesome. Um, so, speaking of Google that shit. Yes. Because I know you had one more person you wanted to talk yes, about. Yes, yes. Do we want to throw out some honorable mentions? Yes, of, yes, we should. Of, like, go to Google and type these names in? Yes, we oh, absolutely yeah. should. Please. Now. Uh, the first uh, that I want to mention are the Trong sisters, uh, who are famous uh, from Vietnam. Now, this is way back during, I think, the like ancient period. Uh, the Trong sisters, they, they fought a rebellion against um, invading forces from the north, I think, from China. Yes, common era 12 to 43 years. Oh, damn. Okay, so right around right around the same period, just before the same period as Boudicca. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, please check them out. Um, they ran a fantastic, revenge-fueled uh, orgy of destruction against the Chinese that had not been seen up to that point. Um, of course, there was Joan of Arc. Now, I wanted to kind of not go too heavy into Joan of Arc during this episode because she's kind of the obvious choice when you're talking about badass warrior women, but... You mentioned some reservations when talking about Joan of Arc, didn't you, Kirsten? Well, I mean, I I feel A, Joan of Arc is a little overdone. B, Joan of Arc is a little overblown. Um, I feel like the fact that she was such a huge figure in religion Mm. kind of led to a lot of her romanticization. Mm. Um, A lot of what she did wasn't straight fighting. Um, She was certainly a good strategist, um, but... I think that, um, and you had mentioned it before, she really was more of a figurehead and more of a rallying point. Yeah. And um, I think that... Like the, the standard bearer, as it were. Yes. And I think that the most interesting thing about her, as sad it, as it is, was the fact that she was killed in such a um, completely unwarranted and undeserved way, and that the story of how she was treated in prison up until her execution... I wish we focused more on rather than what she did in her role during the Hundred Years' War. Um, Because there are other very interesting people in the Hundred Years' War. She was not particularly a good person, and one of her high lieutenants was a serial killer, and she wasn't running with... Yeah, she wasn't running with good people, but it is very, very washed over with a rosy light because she is now a saint. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's very, very hard... Yeah, and, you know, the very unfortunate thing is she started seeing these saints and started having God talk to her at an age that is also a common age for schizophrenia onset. And I'm mm. not saying that that's the cause. I mean, I, I can't make any sort of, you know, claim. But, yeah, you know, it just, well, makes, it just makes the story a little bit less meh. When it comes to famous historical figures of antiquity before the modern era and mental illness... Sometimes the best we can do is conjecture, you know? I mean, was Edgar Allan Poe possibly insane or had epilepsy? We don't know. I mean, was Joan of Arc schizophrenic? We don't know. (laughs) It's, 
Right. The, yeah. the data is just so. not there. So, but it is it is a very fascinating story in and of itself. Now, um, what I would have loved to go. Yes, sorry. Uh, oh no, I just I had some. I'm totally uh, sorry. You should Google this. Yep. Which actually, honestly, um, I'm just gonna say Google rejected princesses. Yes, yes. rejected princesses. I follow them on Facebook. I was just talking before we started recording how I really need to follow them on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um. Because what they do is they have these wonderful stories of awesome women throughout the ages, and they have a whole section um, dedicated entirely to warriors. Um, and I'm just going to read a few of these out, but they make little comics um, about oh. each of these rejected princesses, as it were. And yeah. the comics, like, it breaks down. They do them in like the Disney style and everything. Kind of great. It's awesome. Um, but some of the names on their list here, I'm just going to read out a few of them. Uh, Fredris, Eric's daughter from the 10th century, while pregnant, grabs a sword, faces down her attackers, and stabs herself in the chest to intimidate the Native Americans into running away. Freitas was going to be my honorable mention. Oh! Oh! <laughs> uh, St. Olga of Kiev buried opponents alive, killed invaders using pigeons to commit arson. That is the most badass thing I think I've ever heard. Shit. And then there was like one other one down here that I was like, oh man, that's that's too cool. Um, oh, Catalina de Eraso, Eruso got yeah. into nonstop knife fights while posing as a man through South America. And this is my favorite part. Received permission from the Pope to cross-dress. <laughs> <laughs> and these people all have awesome comics about their lives over at rejectedprincesses.com. So I can only imagine with all the folly of Popey regalia and everything, I need you to get some bandages now. And um, go kick some ass. I feel like if there's anybody who understands cross-dressing, it's the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, there's lots of crosses on Yep. Oh, not where I was going with that. Why did you take it just there? Just going to forge ahead. Just going to forge ahead through that Do one. Do it. Now, the last honorable mention that I wanted to bring up, uh, besides Ching Shi, who is a famous Chinese pirate, is Yim Wing Chun. Now, if uh, Wing Chun sounds familiar, it's because there's an entire system of Chinese martial arts that is named after her, the Wing Chun School of Kung Fu. Now, um, this is... Take this with a grain of salt, because we don't know for sure whether it happened this way, but according to legend... Um, and Wikipedia. According to legend and Which Wikipedia... Which is the modern equivalent. Um, Yim Wing <laughs> uh, Chun uh, was active around uh, the early 1700s, and the legend has it that um, the central sequence of events remains largely the same, beginning with the origin of her teacher. During the Qing dynasty, Shaolin Buddhist monk, nun and abbess, Ng Mui, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, um, reportedly fled the destruction of the Sulam Temple at the hands of the government. The temple was believed to be harboring revolutionaries. According to one legend, after being inspired by witnessing a crane and a snake fighting, Ng Mui incorporated their movements into her style of Chinese Kung Fu to form a new yet unnamed martial arts system. She later took on a disciple, Yim Wing Chun, and passed the art on to her. Yim Wing Chun was well known for her beauty and salt tofu for a living. A local bully tried to force her to marry him, but she used the art to defeat him, um, probably in spectacular fashion. Marry me, or I'm going to push you into your locker again. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. I hate it when that happens. The, the sources are out whether she took an ear during the, during the process <laughs> or not. Um, but she used the art to defeat him. Some accounts claim that Ng Mui taught Yim the art specifically for the purpose of defending herself against the man's unwanted advances. You know, yeah, it's awesome. funny because yeah. I actually, you when you messaged me earlier and were like, female warriors or some other way that we can talk about stuff, 
I actually almost suggested talking about uh, self-defense and how the whole idea of, you know, needing to learn to fight because when you're a woman, that's a thing that yeah. you... So that would be a fascinating episode in the future. We, of we should yes. come back to that well, on another please, time. Yeah. I, I'm going to formally invite you back for that I episode. would like to do yeah. that because I have many thoughts on this. Absolutely. <laughs> but yes, finish your... The, 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 the last major female figure that I wanted to bring up, because we want to kind of uh, do as wide a range of uh, uh, badass warrior women as possible. I know that there was an African war, uh, um, princess that we were going to talk about. Um, Nzinga, she, although she wasn't as much the warrior side of it, so... Yeah. Still, um, goes into the honorable mentions for sure, but the last one that I wanted to mention was Toma Gozen. Now, uh, she was the one of the only uh, female samurai to have ever been recorded, um, uh, which was uh, known as an Ona Bugeisha. Um, now, she fought with uh, Minamoto no Yoshinaka in the Genpei War. This is around 1157 to 1247 is, her, uh, is when she was alive. Um, there's a quote from the Tale of the Heiki, uh, which is a, it's an epic, kind of like the, uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, kind of mm -hmm. that era of early Japanese history. Um, this, this quote kind of sums up exactly who I'm talking about. Tomo was especially beautiful with white skin, long hair, and charming features. She was also a remarkably strong archer, and as a swordswoman, she was a warrior worth a thousand, ready to confront a demon or a god, mounted or on foot. She handled unbroken horses with superb skill. She rode unscathed down perilous descents. Whenever a battle was imminent, Yoshinaka sent her out as his first captain, equipped with strong armor, an oversized sword, and a mighty bow. And she performed more deeds of valor than any of his other warriors. Mm, although I do want to say, um, she was not the only female samurai at the time. There was actually a tradition of these onabugeisha. Yeah. They were taught how to fight with swords, how to fight with naginatas, which oh. are kind of like large spears with a... A glaive end, yeah. Yes. A, a curved um, cutting blade. And they were um, taught how to fight with a bow and arrow, but most of their training was just defensive. They were meant to protect themselves and their homes during mm -hmm. war. And uh, the thing that really made her special was she branched out and learned offensive fighting. And that was the thing that was completely different. Women weren't supposed to learn how to be offensive. Like, you're not going to be out on the field. We're just doing this so that, you know, you don't get captured when you're not here to, to your start home. a fight, but you better be ready to end it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> actually, yes. Um, and so there, there is a tradition of women being trained yeah. in the more samurai type arts at this time. But she took that training and said, nah, I want more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was involved in this war, as we said, the Genpei War, which was between uh, the, the Minamoto clan and the Taira clan. Um, she fought at the Battle of Owazu, February 21st, 1184, where she at least took at least one head. Hate those cougars. Well, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> We're in the new district. This is a dog's household. Yes. Um, now, um... The, the thing about collecting heads was that it, many people don't realize this about the samurai is that you literally were paid and were honored to an extent based on how many heads you collected. Mm. So, the, the, literally, if you won a battle, obviously because you lost, you were either dead or driven away, but if you won a battle, the idea was you collected all the heads of the people that you killed and said, eh, 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 <laughs> pay me. Um, so, <laughs> I can only imagine just a bushel of 
freaking heads that she yeah, uh, d- that make she, a belt. Um, however, you, uh, yeah, Yoshinaka, it matches with everything. <laughs> yes. These heads, let me tell you, they're gonna go great with the drapes. Now, um, uh, apparently, although Yoshinaka's forces uh, fought bravely, they were outnumbered and overwhelmed when Yoshinaka was defeated there with only a few of his uh, soldiers standing. He told Tomei Gozen to flee because he wanted to die with his foster brother and said that uh, he would be ashamed if he died with a woman. Now, it's, on the one hand, I extremely really progressive. I extra slow for that. On the one <laughs> hand, extremely progressive because, again, he was she was one of his best captains mm-hmm. and apparently one of the best fucking head takers out there and, you know, fought. Ex- As opposed to just give her? <laughs> No, nah. that's inappropriate. I, I, was, I wasn't going to go there. She was a very well-respected warrior. Well, she was like very well-respected, but there were a lot of rumors that the only reason she was in the position she was was to be uh, his mistress. Oh. So, Which, to be fair, though, that is exactly what you say about a woman that rises to power. That's true. Yeah. Like, I, that's, I think that's a struggle that every woman Just, faces. Uh-huh. Is, did I get this job? And, you know, even in that description you read right. earlier... The very first thing they talk about is how good she looked before going into, oh, you know, she was also this great warrior. But mostly she had great skin. (laughs) Oh, God. She moisturized Um, every day. Yeah. With the blood of her enemies. That's the trick. As we learned from Countess Bathory, keeps you young. Mm. Yep. Keeps you young. But uh, that last battle that she was in, so uh, he... They went in with an army of 300, and at the end, there were five of them, Ugh. and she was one of those five, and that's when he asked her to leave the battlefield, because they were obviously about to die, they were up against an army of 6,000, and uh, he said, it's shameful to die alongside a woman. She rushes forward, beheads one more of the enemy, and then rides yeah. off, and no one hears of her again. There must have been a prolonged glare from her, just like, yeah. like really? I just, I, really? I can imagine, Bitch. like... Her riding back with this one last head, like even her horse is just prancing a little bit. Like what? What? Well, fuck you then. You know. (laughs) Which, of course, the sad reality is she probably died as soon as she was out of eyeshot and was buried in a. I mean, it's it's, but as it could be, we like to believe that she rode off into the sunset. The Battle of Mm -hmm. Awaza was in 1184. She supposedly lived until 1247. Hmm. So, but what are the verifications of her death? that's the thing yeah you know in the year what was it uh she died in 1247 yeah like it's hard to say because records you know yeah so i mean we can only imagine that there are a bunch of fucking amazing the stuff of legend adventures that she had after that but sadly Mm -hmm. was not recorded which um which sucks because that's that's more or less the extent of what we know about tomo gozen now uh, would love to do an episode on Onai Bugeisha at some point. You know, that, that would be. I think that deserves its own episode. The Naginata deserves its own episode. I did an entire episode about the spear. I think that we can talk. Uh, roll that into talking about the Naginata. It's a fan. It's a fascinating weapon. Um, really. I'm, well, I mean, oh, it's just this. This was the thing. It it was originally just to go into it a little bit because you made me do this. Um. <laughs> It, it, it was originally just a sword blade at the end of a pole, but it became its own uh, awesome kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Uh, badass badass women taking heads, taking names, uh, also taking no shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that uh, I, I, either of you would like to... I feel, I feel like I've talked too much in this episode. Maybe it should have just been you. But... Um, I have no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, is there is there anything else that you want to develop? Any other any any other honorable mentions? 
Um, I think I covered it. Hit up rejected princesses. Uh, just Google female warriors and fall down the YouTube with or fall down the yeah also YouTube Wikipedia Google rabbit yep. hole. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of really good. Uh, you know now that I've apparently Freudian slipped YouTube into there. There's a lot of good documentaries up on YouTube. There's a lot of good BBC documentaries mm-hmm. up on YouTube yep. that you can learn a mm-hmm. lot from. There's at least one about Boudicca, I'm fairly certain. Oh, oh no, there was like a really... Oh, yeah. yeah, it popped up when I was doing the Google search of Boudicca that, yeah, Absolutely. there's a BBC documentary. The, sorry, last last couple honorable mentions that I think we should... Mulan, <laughs> Mulan, was, a, Mulan was, a, was a historical figure, was she not? She was, yes. Yes. And then, of course, I mentioned Xingxi, and then there's Eurydice, who uh, came uh, came to prominence in the Macedonian Civil War following Alexander the Great's death. You so, yeah. more before I No, well, that's it. I swear to God. Well, and honestly, to be fair, it's almost a little insulting to just continue on with the honorable mentions, because there are many, many... So many women yes. in history who have been fighting so diminished right and so yeah. to continue naming some would so mean you have to leave some out it's, it's is... almost better there so could i even think be a the part point two, is so... yeah we just need to do this we need again. to do a part two right? yeah we need to do a part two it could be a whole yeah. a whole own podcast yep absolutely uh any <laughs> anything else you'd love to plug morgan um, yeah, you can find me also on Facebook and Patreon and Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr um, <laughs> as Morg Ann, uh, Morg like where you send the bodies and then A-N-N-E, I DJ at the Mercury almost every Wednesday. I'm just about to start a regular Tuesday gig over at the Fun House. Awesome. I do a monthly burlesque show every second Tuesday of the month at Substation. Called Cabaret of Evil. This is the Cabaret of Evil. Uh, specifically, Cabaret of Evil Strip Against Trump is the theme for this year. Yep. Probably Wonderful. the next few years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not the next eight years. Um yeah, you can find me on all the all. The, just Google Morgan. Just just Google it. <laughs> just Google it. All right. Absolutely, Kirsten. Uh, yes. Um. So at the end of this month in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the Phoenix Theater is going to be Die Laughing. Yes. This is starting on. I gosh, I want to say it starts on seven p uh, seven p.m. Friday, March thirty first, and it goes until. 7 or 8 p.m. Sunday, April 2nd. This is a 50-hour-long comedy marathon. Yes! The entire thing is going to be streamed online. Um, You can just Google Die Laughing. Uh, Die Laughing is on Facebook. Fearless Comedy Productions is on Facebook. And uh, please donate money so they can make funny. Absolutely. Now, keep in mind that they are going to be doing uh, hilarious challenges for your amusement. And uh, please watch out for what those are going to be as well. Die Laughing for Laugh and Let Die. Oh, is that the name of it? I believe so. What do you have to plug? Um, I I got this awesome podcast. You should. Oh wait, you're already listening to it. Uh, no. Um, I am also going to be uh in uh the uh uh and at least one cabaret of evil coming up here. Uh, I I am a frequent collaborator with Morgan. Very happy to say that. And yeah, you should definitely watch out for um all of these opportunities to see me take my clothes off. I don't know why you would, but mm-hmm. if you have a morbid curiosity to see that kind of thing. We just need it's that good. Boris chest. Yeah. <laughs> I think we I feel like out your next act, you guys are gonna I need to do a Zangief act or something. 
No, wait. All right, all right. <laughs> all I right. wasn't kidding Thanks. about peeing on your couch. So right. anything right. else we need to plug? No, that'll be it. Awesome. Uh, it was an honor to be uh, on your podcast. Thank you thank so you much. It's an honor to have you on. And uh, please, uh, best of luck in all your future endeavors. Ladies and gentlemen, please take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.